and Africanettes and those of you who are African adjacent uh, to The Appeal, a.k.a. Walker's Appeal. This is On The Wake Up Radio. I am your host, Oz Bryan. Welcome to the, the, the blackest hour of your week. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate you. Uh, this week's show, we're going to touch on a few things. Uh, the redistricting process, all right, and, and how it's an example of a failure of this uh, two-party state. And uh, we're going to remember William Levi Dawson. Who knew there were two (laughs) black William Levi Dawson? I I figured it out today. And and both had some pretty... um, uh, The the congressman, William Levi Dawson, he, he passed away this week. And the playwright, William Levi Dawson, uh, he, he produced one of his uh, seminal works uh, this week. Also, we're going to be looking at uh, the history of Theodore Roosevelt and uh, the Brownsville Affair. Uh, that, that happened this week back in 1906. And uh, we're going to be remembering the late, <laughs> the great, uh, Nat Turner. Nat Turner. Also, what I did mention was uh, this is also the anniversary of uh, us losing uh, Booker T. Washington. So uh, let's begin with the the redistricting. So if you live in if you live anywhere, actually, right? Um, we just had a, a census in 2020, which means that all the lines uh, have to be redrawn. All the lines have to be redrawn. And so the the big talk from here to January 1st is about what those new districts are going to look like. And uh, I was on a long, long uh, conference call with myself and some other civic leaders in Southeast Queens about how that's affecting, like, our neck of the woods. And <laughs> it always – I always find it interesting when they say they talk about um, independent, I mean, what is independent, right? If you think about it, like how how do you get how do you how do you get somebody who's independent, like truly independent, right? Uh, if you're hired and you're appointed, most things are appointed. Only way to really get something independent is if you do the democratic process and there's a vote. 
absent of that, it's never truly independent. Right? Even if you think about the Supreme Court, right? They're appointed, right? Whether liberal leaning or conservative leaning, depending on who's president, they're not really independent. We can't, you know. Not, so you no, know, even though for judges, when they get in there, it's set up for them not to be influenced. But you can't convince me they're not influenced. Right? <laughs> but what is truly independent? So what happened here in New York is that um, uh, even though uh, it's a blue state. Uh, both parties got to appoint members to the quote-unquote independent commission. And what do you think happened when they set up this quote-unquote independent commission to redraw the new lines uh, based on the population changes of New York State based on the last census? What do you think happened? The Republicans... And the Democrats came up with two different maps. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 the Independent Commission could not agree because it itself was partisan. You can't make this up. up. And so you have two maps. And, and what happens? What happens if the commission? "Quote unquote independent commission can't come to an agreement on a map. It kicks it back to the legislature. So you get I me. Mean, that means you have the actual politicians themselves, who, who again we're trying to be, we we try to form an independent commission so it wouldn't be influencing them. It would fall in their hands to draw their own line. You get me." You understand the the the, the <laughs> and so when they went about appointing this quote unquote independent commission that they knew it would fail and hence they would have to make the decision themselves anyway. Now I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist or nothing like that, right? But <laughs> uh, one plus one equals two uh, on Mondays, and one plus equal, one equals two on Tuesdays, and one plus one equals two on Wednesdays, and uh, it's pretty consistent. I got two eyes. And, and, and I was listening to, again, you know, uh, not only, you know, like the old uh, Hair Club for Men uh, commercials, where it talks about uh, not only I'm president, I'm a member. So I'm a fan of, not only do I do a podcast, I'm a fan of podcasts. I, I, you know, the same way. Uh, I appreciate everyone who listens and tunes in to, to us on, on a weekly basis. Now, I also tune in to other podcasts on a weekly basis, and I'm sure you guys do as well. And there was a discussion about duopolies. Um, reason why this was interesting. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it was a discussion with a guy by the name of Michael Porter. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a business professor. Uh, that's what I do uh, when I'm not uh, on the airwaves with you beautiful people. And Porter's five forces is something that every business student learns, right? The, the, I did, the, the five forces that determine how competitive an industry is, right? So we have the power of the consumer. We have the power of the suppliers. Uh, you know, in other words, if there's only one supplier, like OPEC, 
back when we were dependent on oil, when suppliers, consumer, right? Um, in a very uh, uh, um, commoditized industry, the consumer has a lot of power. Uh, uh, in a very in industries that have heavy competition, the consumer has a lot of power. So the power of the consumer. Um, how easy is it to get into this industry? Um, uh, how how easy is it for me to use something else instead of right? Throw the substitutes, and then we have um, competition. Right? How heavy is competition in the industry? And so the, the Porter's Five Forces is something that every business instructor, anybody who's ever taken business classes is familiar with. And Michael Porter is the one who brought this up. So now he is taking on this idea uh, of applying those, those same principles uh, or you know, just his, his efforts to our political system, right? And looking at our political system as uh, an industry, right? And to see how competitive it is, right? And, Right there, there are, we exist in a duopoly. I mean, I, I wish Rob was here because uh, he, he, he would know me going on his tirades by, the, by now, but we exist in a duopoly where um, the two parties actually control a lot. Now, where I digress is that the parties aren't really parties because they are, they're fragmented themselves. There's no such thing as a national party. A Democrat in California ain't got nothing to do with a Democrat in New York, right? You actually, if you're going to build a party, you got to do it state by state by state. And there are 50 of them, but there are 50 of them joint if you want to do a party. So you can start a party here in New York, but your influence won't be passed here in New York. Now you got to go out, even work, working families, right? Working families is in 50 states. And, that's put, and that might be one of the most significant third parties we have in this country. And they're not in all 50 states. Right? I know they were trying to do some work out in Milwaukee, uh, trying to get the footprint there. And of course, they have a footprint here in New York. But you get my drift. So um, nonetheless, um, they market themselves as, an, as a national uh, one cohesive unit. So I understand why people make that assumption. And But he was saying how, um, you know, if you want to run for, like, let's say president, right? No one runs for uh, president on the third party line and expects to win. Right? Even Ross Perot, I might be dating myself, when he ran, you know, he, he just, you know, wanted to get some issues on the table. He knew he was being a spoiler. And um, the, during the discussion, they talked about Donald Trump. How Trump, uh, even though he, he seemed to buck a lot of the assumptions Right, he seemed to serve as proof that you can overcome these odds. Um, even he still had to choose a party, right? So he was still even limited. Um, and they went on to, to to say how if you look at threat of new entrants, this is one thing that the uh, duopoly that we have does real well. You can't the barriers to entries. Like if you want to start a car company today it'd be very difficult. There's high barriers to entry. Very hard to get a, a new car company going. Uh, but if I wanted to start a new law firm, I could do that relatively easy. You know, get, go get a law degree, you know, <laughs> uh, raise some office space and boom. So there's a new lawyer on the block. 
You know, so some industries are easier than others to, to get into, and it tells you how competitive they are. But um, back to the redistricting thing, I just thought that it was interesting that um, how the redistricting process is going, it kind of lends credence to this idea of a duopoly uh, that uh, they're going to maintain power no matter what. Um, now, Michael Porter and I think the the the, 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 the his associate was about named by the name of Gail Fee. Was it Gail? Gail Foods. And now she's in the political arena. She's left uh, business to go into the political arena and she was working on it with him. And um yeah, they make a couple of assumptions that uh, don't really hold up. And um uh one of the things that's unique and the reason why we're here having discussions because we understand that race has a a, a real impact. Right? Uh, Dr. Um, Neely, Neely Fuller says, if you don't understand racism, what it is, how it functions, everything you think you understand only serves to confuse you. So once you take race out the issue, out the out the out the equation, everything just kind of goes to hell, right? Because you don't truly, you're not truly studying this well, right? Because it, now it just looks like there's people with some extreme interest, interests, right? And, and black folks ain't folks with extreme interests. <laughs> we just try to make a fair system, um, and and we vote at a, a higher clip than than most other groups. Like that's just uh, uh, one of the things they don't tell you a lot about black folks, right? <laughs> they'll, they'll tell you all the negatives, but we vote more than most other groups, right? Because you've been denied it, and so we value it. You know, and you're taught to value it. You know what I mean? Whether you've been here two days or you've been here two hundred years, you've taught to value voting, so you vote as a as a group. Well, it's just the other folks who, you know, think that they got a few dollars and that's all they need. But, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. So the discussion um, about the redistricting that we were having, you know, some folks really, they think about it helping out a politician. Right? And, we can't think, and you can't go into those things talking about a politician because that politician is going to be replaced in a few years, right? And you're still going to be stuck with what you got. So it's not about that personal politician's comforts, per se, right? Because a lot of the lines being drawn, you know, folks are going to have to move because <laughs> they no longer live in their districts. Um, I was being told that uh, uh, you guys know uh, Jamal Bowman, right? Jamal Bowman lives in Kauai City. Um, I was being told some of the lines being drawn would uh, put AOC, put Kauai City in AOC's district. All right, that means Joe Bob Bowman's going to have to move. But, I mean, that, that I mean, you could argue some, you can make some arguments, but you can't make the argument that oh, that's not fair to Jamal Bowman. No one gives a, the 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 law doesn't give a damn about that, and the redistricting committee doesn't give a damn about that. But um, uh, when we talk about keeping a community together, one of the interesting things I saw is that um, uh. <laughs> And, and I'm reminded by Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle talks about how, how it's funny how blacks are losing the the uh, oppression Olympics or something like that, right? <laughs> how other groups are advocating better for themselves than we are, right? Whether it be the LGBT, in this case, talk about the Indian. The Indian community uh, actually has created an assembly district just for them, right? They've, they've lot, well, the lobbying, let's say, in the process of, to create an assembly district that's all Indian, right? <laughs> so they'll have Indian representation. And so um, to understand that, I mean, you can make the same argument, right? 
we're trying to, uh, blacks have been historically uh, disenfranchised. So the idea is that, uh, and, then, and then if, you, if you're listening to this and you live in Southeast Queens, it's going to be next week Wednesday at your college uh, in, in the afternoon. I'm not sure what time, um, but uh, next week Wednesday at your college, you'll be able to, as a community, go down there and advocate that you want to maintain the cultural integrity of your, uh, your districts, whether that be assembly district, whether that be state senate district, whether that be congressional district. Uh, so that that that'd be the time place for you to make your your appeal to the the commission. Um, but in, anyhow, right? But as I said, right now they have two different maps, <laughs> and if they don't come up with one, it might get kicked back to the legislature anyhow. So it's, it's definitely going to be interesting. Um, <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, 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 it seems like a setup. It definitely seems like a setup. And um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm paying close attention. I'm paying close attention. Uh, there's, there's some folks who, who some folks are looking real pretty, right? If, if it goes out, there's, there's, I mean, there's anything else, right? There's always winners and losers uh, to degrees. But the uh, black community got to, yeah, we, they, we can't afford to, to sit idly by, right, with, with this going on, right? So I know a lot of people talk about they don't want to deal with politics, but if you don't deal with politics, politics will deal with you. So you got to at least get involved, right? Um, not saying that you'll win, but if you stay home, you're definitely going to lose. Um, but it, 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 it's, it, it's interesting. Uh, next. I wanted to touch on, I wanted to segue, I want to make a jump. <laughs> uh, I wanted to make a jump to uh, Theodore Roosevelt and the anniversary of the uh, Brownsville Affair. Now, the Brownsville Affair is an incident in U.S. history back in 1906 uh, when uh, they were in Brownsville, Texas, right? And... Um, uh, a black infantry unit uh, ended up being dishonorably discharged. Uh, they were accused of killing some white folks. <laughs> and uh, Teddy Roosevelt um, uh, discharged them. Uh, uh, the Congress uh, in recent years actually overturned it. Right? So, so Congress stepped in and uh, overturned the, the discharge uh, back in the 70s, right? They got a presidential pardon by Richard Nixon, nonetheless. And so, yeah, this was the Army's 25th Infantry. They were accused of killing a barber and an officer. Um, now, mind you, so this is 1901 and uh, 1906. And, um, you know, they're military. They could be coming from all over the country, uh, but they're in the South <laughs> right now. And so they had to abide by local laws, which is interesting, right, which wouldn't happen today, right? And in modern times, the federal uh, institutions in your state follow federal laws, not just state laws, right? Uh, you know, this is a time when states' rights matter. And, and um, you know, put this thing, put put a little context to it. Uh, Frederick Douglass was the first black man to be invited 
by the president to the White House, Frederick Douglass, and that was under Abraham Lincoln. Uh, the first black man invited to eat at the White House was Booker T. Washington, and he was invited by Teddy Roosevelt. Now, um, uh, uh, I was not always as conscious as I am today. I used to be a Negro, <laughs> uh, Negroes Anonymous. And, um, and, and if you study presidential or American history, Teddy Roosevelt, somebody who, 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 who looks somewhat interesting, right? Uh, um, I didn't, and this is before I knew about his relationship with, uh, Booker T. Um, uh, <laughs> he had, he faced pressure for inviting Booker T to the White House. They told him, like, you're going to invite a Negro to the White House and eat dinner with your daughter, <laughs> right? Because this is, again, you're right, this is the time when they were, the, per, the perception about uh, dangerous Negroes uh, taking white women, right? This, this, is, this is that era. Um, uh, birth of a nation type era, right? The original birth of a nation. Uh, and and he did it, right? He, so he still had Booker T come out for dinner. Uh, mind you, he never did it again, <laughs> right? And um, he said it was one of the toughest things he ever did. And because, he, he did it because he got the pushback. He said, I'm going to do it anyway. But uh, he got put in check, so I guess so much, that he agreed to never do it again. And he never did it again. Right, he never invited another black person to the uh, White House ever again. Um, and this is supposed to be this big, gruff, uh, you know, he out there fighting wars. He's he's in wars. He's uh, hunting. He's doing safaris. He, I mean, <laughs> he really created a persona of a tough guy. Uh, I, I talk real quiet, but I carry a big stick. Yeah, that was Teddy Roosevelt. And um, yeah, so after. Um, this uh, bartender and police officer were killed. Uh, evidence is planted on the African American, the 25th Infantry, which is the Black Infantry, who were segregated time, right? Um, because they were in Texas, Brownsville, Texas, uh, they had to follow local rules. That means they could not uh, eat or, or sleep in the same barracks as, as white soldiers, um, even though, the, again, they're federal agents. But again, this is before uh, the federal government really. Um, uh, started to impose itself. And I would argue that the federal government really doesn't start to impose itself in a real way until the Civil Rights Act of uh, 1964. And so this is 1906, and so state strikes are still the deal. And I remember John Wallace said, uh, segregation in Mississippi today, <laughs> segregation in Mississippi tomorrow, right? Um, yeah, but... Uh, and Booker T actually, you know, did try to appeal to Roosevelt about um, his decision on on these soldiers. Um, but <laughs> Roosevelt, he was tough then, disregarded his appeal uh, at the time, back in 1906, um, and and these brothers uh, were railroaded. I mean, um, you know, I mean, black life is tough, even when you don't do anything, right? Once once the accusation comes. Right, uh, you, you, as today, you, you're guilty uh, before before the trial starts. Right, if there's a trial, I mean, you're lucky they don't let you <laughs> for the accusation. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I just thought that was was interesting. We want to remember those brothers. It was uh, 167 soldiers, right? He discharged them all. 167 soldiers. I can't even well, ain't enough time in the show for me to name them all, right? Um, but yeah, we want to remember the the 25th Infantry, Infantry, um, and the Brownsville affair, um, and uh, and Booker T. Right? Uh, so Booker T had it was a he was the most powerful black man in the country at that time. The most powerful black man in the country, right? <laughs> and uh, he they tried to use his influence. Um, to no avail. Um, again, we, I, I don't, I don't get mad at him for not succeeding, but I, I do appreciate him um, trying to lend. And, and history notes it that he did try to lend his reputation uh, to, to 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 help or assist those brothers um, who were falsely accused and who, uh, again. Um, that that wasn't overturned until the 1970s, uh, so we talking about 60 years later, you know. Um, damn shame, but um, yeah, I, racism. The, the, what's 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 interesting, or the the phenomenon about racism, isn't about one or two things going wrong. Isn't the accusation? It is that there's a system that's going to back everything up, right? So it's not that the cops, I, I, I reiterate, I probably said before, it's not that the cops shoot you. It's that the 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 department's going to back them up, the union's going to back them up, the DA's going to back them up. He's going to get 48 hours <laughs> to, to figure out his story. I mean, he's going to get to go home. I mean, there's, that's, what, that's really what racism is. There is, and then if there is justice, it won't be for another 50, 60 years. He'll be an old man ready to die, right? That's that's if if, and so that's what racism is. It ain't that the wrong happened, right? Wrong can happen if it's corrected. Then we ain't got no problem. It's just that it's too rarely is it corrected. Um, it's about we're about the halfway mark. We're going to take our first break. Uh, so sit tight. We'll be right back. All my Africans and African net. Uh, this is uh, the appeal. Shout out to Cindy Ashley, by the way. I'm sorry if I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, sit tight and we'll be right back. This is On the Wake Up Radio, the appeal. Reflection style. How are you, Steve? <laughs> Motel, baby. <laughs> uh, you all you, you went today. Music's off the hook. Shout out to Cindy Ashby. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> uh, as I was saying, we we wanted to take a moment uh, to remember uh, William Levi Dawson. Now, um, both of them, I said both of them, because there were two, as I learned uh, recently, that there were two, William Levi Dawson, same exact name. Uh, the one that I'm most familiar with, of course, is the congressman from Chicago. Uh, now, now, he's not someone I, I would venerate. You know, I put him in a similar category as actually he, he, he might he might not even be as might not even be as good as uh, Roy Wilkins. But uh, so William Levi Dawson uh, was uh, a black congressman um, at a time when we only had one actually, right? 
Um, when he came into Congress, he was the only black congressman in the country. Uh, and he represented Chicago, of course. And um, then later, later uh, Adam Clay Powell was elected. Right? So then there were two, and then Charles Diggs Jr. was elected, and then we had three. <laughs> right. Um, sad to say, even at that point when we had three, that was probably the, the pinnacle of black representation in the political sphere in this country. Now we have probably thousands of black elected officials throughout the country, and situations have actually deteriorated um, because uh, we really don't have, we have folks with titles, but we don't have anybody with purpose. And, and at that time, at least some brothers and sisters had purpose. Um, now, I wouldn't say William Dawson was was one of them, uh, the politician that is. Um, one thing uh, that um, is note is that he he thoroughly objected <laughs> to Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement. <laughs> um, probably has to, I mean, no, no, the system worked for him at the time, right? Again, he came into office in 1943, uh, so the system worked for him. So he had no incentive to to, to want to see something different. And, um, and 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 I guess it shows through his actions, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, and I always found it interesting how uh, Percy Sutton, right? So Percy Sutton uh, doesn't get enough credit. Uh, he is uh, a, a mastermind in in business and political sphere in the, in black life. Right, uh, he he engineered the election of uh, the first black man in New York City, uh, David Dinkins. He engineered the election of uh, Tony Ra- uh, of Wrangle, Charles Wrangle. Now, I don't think he should. <laughs> he had some obviously he had some kind of issues with Adam Grant Powell, but that's either here or there, all right? Um, and he he compared himself to William L. Dawson. Right. He found that Chicago, and I'm, I'm, I haven't been to Chicago, uh, so the Chicago folks, uh, you, you would have to know better than me, but they function different than Harlem specifically, right? Because uh, the, the comparison was between, again, yeah, up until the time uh, Charles Diggs, so it was so the black towns were Chicago. Harlem, New York, Harlem, New York specifically, and Detroit. That's that's that was those were our meccas, right? And um, it, Percy Sutton always felt that he couldn't do, or he couldn't get away with what William Dawson got away with in Chicago. That's what he said. And you know, so I you know I, I converse with my elders and I'm saying like, what what do you mean by that? And um, you know, Chicago's different, right? Uh, nothing different, different in a good way. Um, where it, <laughs> Chicago might be more communal, right? So, so New York had a lot of Negroes who thought they were, I call them fancy Negroes, <laughs> right? And so, you know, uh, it's not about a, a collective sense per se. You had, like, well, classes of Israel, and I think it, to, it probably comes in degrees. It was probably just to a lesser degree in Chicago, I would say. Uh, relatively, or probably might be significantly less degree, but, you know. And so, um, yeah, Percy was making a critique of the electorate in, in Harlem versus that of Chicago and how uh, 
that he felt that the electorate in Harlem was a bit more sophisticated, right? Uh, or, 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 or politically savvy. That might mean that, you know, they, they, they knew to make sure they was getting something and uh, out the deal. I might, you know, right? where, where William Dawson could take positions like he's not supporting King, but that doesn't mean Chicago didn't support King. Cause remember King was out of Chicago, right? <laughs> he was there. Uh, while Dawson was there. Yeah, so he, he did have support uh, regardless of what Dawson wanted to do or not. Um, and <laughs> that led me into uh, Charles Levi Dawson's same name, uh, the composer, uh, the composer uh, born in Alabama um, and who is famous, also got his doctorate in music from Tuskegee University. Shout out to, to Booker T. Washington. And he's famous for some of his work, uh, the, the, the work in particular that he wrote uh, uh, this week, back in 1934, was uh, uh, the Negro Folk Symphony, uh, uh, which was uh, broken into three parts. Uh, the first part was The Bond of Africa, uh, Hope in the Night, and Oh, Let Me Shine. Uh, and, um, yeah, I, and I've always, you know, I, I, I always have a, a soft spot in my heart for for the arts uh, because that's how our stories are told, right? That's how our legacies are told. Like the artists are like the the window that we see black life through, right? Uh, so when 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 we're all dead and gone, and these these uh, pieces of art still exist, right? So, so uh, he's a composer, and the symphony that he wrote. Uh, Negro uh, Folk Symphony um, was this. He wrote it this week. <laughs> uh, to me, that's to say, back in 1934. Uh, again, I, I just came across him recently when I realized that I was looking up a Charles Levi, a William Levi Dawson, and I, I figured out they were two. But uh, that's something I think we should all, you know, uh, seek to appreciate: uh, Black arts, Black arts movement. Uh, Segueing into uh, Booker T. Washington, as I said, uh, I referenced him earlier when we were talking about the uh, Brownsville affair. He died this week, uh, and uh, so a lot of people critique Booker T. Completely unfairly uh, that he was a, a compromiser, right? That he <laughs> that he was some kind of yasser boss. And Booker T was far from that. Um, I, I say this now, and I, I gotta always say this: uh, we gotta always put things in together in context, right? So the 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 juxtaposition of say Booker T and W. B. Du Bois is similar to that of the juxtaposition between uh, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. Um, we've had guests on this show who said, "Oh, well, I'm a Malcolm man," but that's that's not really a fair assessment. Because uh, the, that is like saying they're dealing with the same issues, right? <laughs> um, anybody who's ever been to visit anyone, a relative or not, friend or foe, in the South, I'm talking about Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, even in the country. You tell me somebody who's been to the country. And tell and tell them, tell, ask them to tell you what that's like, right? A house is you can't see the next house from one house, 
We're talking about miles apart. When we talk about houses sitting on five acres, that means you got to go home by yourself. This is not like Harlem when you're in a tenement and you got a block with thousands of people. You got hundreds of people on your floor. <laughs> no, this is not that. Where you could talk, <laughs> tough talk. You know what I mean? When you down south, like uh, Martin Luther King was, all right, like Booker T. Washington was, um, you're dealing with a whole different reality. Uh, and and uh, so you can, it's easy to talk tough in Harlem. Say what you won't do, won't do, will, and won't do in Harlem. <laughs> now, say that down south. <laughs> say that on the back dirt, on a jet black dirt road when it's just you and your maker and, and, and the Klan or the White Citizens Committee. <laughs> or just any cracker, who knows? Dylan Stone Roof. It's a completely different story. And so um, he died under very suspicious circumstances. Uh, again, he was building an institution. Uh, and uh, if you read up from slavery, as I recommend every man, woman, and child should, uh, it really is a marketing tool for him to uh, gain uh, donors for his institution because uh, he really even talks down lynching and all that kind of stuff. It's it's, it's surprising. It's a marketing tool. but um, And he posed Tuskegee uh, uh, Institute, as it was called back then, now it's Tuskegee University, as a, a normal school and he was just treating trade. Right? When <laughs> We, we all know, history knows now, that um, George Washington Carver taught at Tuskegee. George Washington Carver wasn't teaching no trade. He's teaching real science, real exploration, real discovery. Um, but uh, when Booker T is, is uh, soliciting funds for the institution, he's not telling people that. He's not telling people that he's doing science and math. No, he's just saying, oh, just teach folks how to farm. But when they find out <laughs> that he's teaching people, I mean, math, physics, right? So there is a theory that he was beat within an inch of his life <laughs> because of this deception. Um, the, the, the reality is he was doing exactly what uh, uh W.B. Du Bois said he should do. He was already doing it, but W.B. Du Bois on the outside looking down the block, critiquing somebody else. You don't know what they're doing. All right, that's why I always say, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't sit around judging what folks do. Right, people do what they do because I don't know. Only time you can actually exchange ideas is when you work with someone. You got to work with them. If you ain't work with them, you got. I don't know what you're doing. And I, 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 I mean, there's evidence. Right, you can try to work with people. All right, and once you do that, then you say, okay, I see what you're doing. All right, when somebody's lying and, and cheating and and giving falsehoods, then you then you act accordingly. But you still gotta first, you gotta see, you know, I mean, work with them. All right, and um, uh, WB didn't do that at the time, and so there's this massive critique of Booker T, which still lingers pretty much to this day uh, in some way, shape, or form. But his institution still exists, so. <laughs> I thought to deny him on that front, but um, yeah, we lost Booker T this week back in uh, 1914, I believe it was, is where he he died of very uh, he died of uh, he was found 
like somewhat unconscious, and he died a, a few days, if not a week later. Oh, 1915, apologies, 1915. And um, it, it was always a pretty suspicious uh, death. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the time, the people say they thought he died of uh, congestive heart failure, uh, but that turned out not to Larry be true. Yeah, he's only 59 years old. Um, over the weekend, over the weekend, uh, I'm sure many of you saw it. Uh, uh, the the harder they fall came out on Netflix, uh, <laughs> uh, starring uh, sis brother Idris Elba, um, uh, John the Majors of uh, Lovecraft. Uh, fame, uh, Regina Hill, uh, my brother, my, I love Lakeith Stanfield, I do, <laughs> Paul's no homo, <laughs> but I do, uh, I, I love Lakeith Stanfield, uh, RJ, uh, Sila, and, uh, Danielle Deadweiler, and, uh, ZZ Beats of, uh, Atlanta fame, right, uh, that's, uh, uh, Childish Gambino's love interest, Baby Mama, or whatever. And, and and it's it's interesting. I I, I thought it was a worthwhile watch. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, figures that I didn't know actually existed. At the beginning of the film, it tells you all of these folks are real. So the the story itself is fictionalized, of course, and it's Hollywood. Um, and it doesn't try to be historically accurate, which I think is a great thing. But it does give you these characters, uh, i.e., Rufus Black, i.e. Uh, Stage coach uh, Mary, um, i.e. Uh, Nat Love. These folks really Cherokee Bill, right? Uh, Jim Beckworth. These folks really exist, and I had no idea. And I, I, I'm just a I'm a history junkie, and so um, to 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 know that these folks existed and what they accomplished. So we have been whitewashed <laughs> out of Western, right? I don't know about you, but uh, my my folks love watching westerns, <laughs> and there was never any black folk in them. <laughs> never any black folks in these these old western movies, and um, yeah. So we we've been, and of course, yes, I forget about Bass Reeves. Yeah, Bass Reeves, um, who I thought would play a bigger role. Um, but you know, it's it just, uh, I guess you just threw him in there to say, okay, we have a bachelor's character, even though he's not doing as, as, as much. Um, but he's there, uh, played by, uh, Delroy Lindo, the great Delroy Lindo. Um, <laughs> one thing uh, that caught my attention is that, um, uh, so there were, Anyone remember there was a Nina Simone movie? There was a Nina Simone movie. And Nina Simone is played by Zoe Saldana. <laughs> and they actually put on, like, dark makeup. It's damn near blackface. <laughs> and anybody, um, no, I'm a black man. And I, and, I, and, I, and I love the African aesthetic. And um, Zoe Zanada is not Zoe Saldana, wonderful, wonderful sister. She's not that. And, and who was it? 
think it was um I think it was Tanahisi Coates, if I'm not mistaken. Tanahisi said how um Neil Turner would not be able would not be allowed to play herself in her own biopic. <laughs> yeah, you get me? Like so Hollywood just wouldn't wouldn't allow that. You know? <laughs> no, 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 you gotta have some a more European aesthetic. And um and they kind of do that in this film, The Harder They Fall with Stagecoach Mary. Alright? So Stagecoach Mary is a tall black woman. <laughs> a tall black Amazon woman. Right? She's I think I think that they said she's something like six feet tall, like in real life. You know what I mean? And and uh and uh and uh, a wizard with a pistol, with a with a shotgun, and she told she's played by Zazie Beetz. Uh, again, that's the sister from uh, Atlanta fame. <laughs> and if you know who Zazie Beetz is, um, she looks. I mean, they're not even trying to have her look like uh, Mary. Mary Mary Fields is stagecoach Mary, um, and I guess that's Hollywood. You know, uh, she's there. Her, you know, this will, will the film will create a renewed interest in her, and hopefully, people will do some research into uh, who she is, who she was. But uh, it, it, it's not lost on me <laughs> that a, a certain kind of uh, phenotype is pushed uh, at the expense of some kind of historical actually. Now that being said. Um, not to say that uh, Jonathan Majors uh, looks like the images that you look up of Matt Turner. I'm not saying that neither. Uh, neither does uh, Keith Stanfield really uh, look like uh, Cherokee Bill, or, or does um, C.J. Siler look like Jim Beckworth, or or or, or Idris Elba look like uh, Lucas Buck, right? And there's, there's images of these folks. Um, but um, they all look a lot closer <laughs> to their characters in real life than Zaza Beat does the stage Coach Mary. But um, I digress. Uh, I, 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 that could just be me, right? I'm, I, I'm, I'm weird. Um, uh, and to round out the cast, we've got a brother named uh, Eddie uh, Gaffigy, plays uh, Bill Pickett. And, uh, yeah. But, uh, hey, check it out when you get a chance. Uh, uh, I thought that it's worthwhile. Uh, I did not feel like I wasted my time. I'm not a huge, uh, I think his brother's name is James Samuel fan, who is the director and producer. I think this was his his uh, baby, and uh, I guess he was able to bring Jay-Z on. Um, but nonetheless, um, uh, it's I, I love learning new things uh, or being introduced, and that's all you really want a, a movie to do, introduce the character. Uh, you don't want, you're not looking for historical accuracy from a Hollywood film. Uh, <laughs> you shouldn't expect it, and, and, and you shouldn't want it, right? Because they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna Hollywoodize it and, and um, uh, do the ancestors a disservice. So uh, just have the character there, fictionalize it as much as you want, and, leave, and, and let us uh, as uh, citizens uh, do our own homework. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I recommend uh, pulling into the last uh, the last segment of our show here. 
the few things. Uh, so there was a Texas principal. I'm not sure if you guys saw this in the news. A Texas principal who was uh, forced to resign over critical race theory. And um, I'm so confused as to because critical race theory is a college, a, a law school course developed by uh, yeah, Derek Bell. <laughs> if, if I'm in conversation, I remember these things off the bat. But um, Derek Bell. So Derek Bell, the late, great Derek Bell, uh, developed critical race theory. Uh, author of The Faces at the Bottom of the World. Uh, he was a, a Harvard Law professor, and he's the one who really came up with this idea of critically looking at um, the Constitution and the founding of America and how uh, racism is deeply embedded in every nook and cranny. Uh, even well, starting with Brown versus Board of Education, he uh, vehemently disagreed, and I do too, and I believe if you guys look at it, you will too, the argument that Thurgood Marshall made in that, in that, uh, in that case. The argument made uh, by Thurgood Marshall in that case is it's, it's, it's insulting. And Derek Bell uh, rightfully uh, discusses that. And so it's, it's seen as a sign of progress, but in itself, is um, it breeds uh, essentially racism, right? Um, it's like uh, it's almost like when, as black parents, we might tell our kids we got to work twice as hard to get half as far, right? Even if that's true, <laughs> um, it does breed a sense of the system is unfair, and you got to deal with it, right? Uh, when what we really need to be doing is fixing the system. You shouldn't have to deal with unfairness. Uh, but anyhow, um, I find it interesting that even – so you're not going to really be teaching critical race theory, uh, right? You're teaching black history, <laughs> or you're teaching history, because it, it's black history is American history, right? You're teaching history. So, uh, I, however, <laughs> I'm not sure how the brother framed it. Um, uh, he was removed. He was a black principal in a predominantly white district. Um, so I give him kudos for, for the try. <laughs> uh, hold on. Let me, let me make sure I get this brother's name. Because uh, this brother does, he does, he does deserve a salute. Yeah. <laughs> he was fired over critical race theory to high school. And I guess it's mostly white kids. And, um, um, hey, I guess I, 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 it's easy for me to say, again, it's easy for me to say he should have seen it coming, but uh, he might have seen it coming and decided to do it anyway, which is very, which would be very impressive, right? Because uh, you, you got to stand up what you believe, even in the first of adversity, regardless of what the consequences are. And we don't have enough people who typically have that kind of heart. And um, um, yeah, he was accused of pushing it, of pushing CRT, critical race theory. Uh, he might disagree, <laughs> and <laughs> and I can see how, yeah, him saying something positive about a black person or say something about slavery and um, them t taking it as critical race theory. But uh, uh, that is the, the struggle we all deal with uh, in this country, and that uh, <laughs> I don't think go nowhere anytime soon. Um, but uh, in closing, 
We also want to remember this week back in 1831, uh, Nat Turner uh, was was executed uh, this week back in 1931. Um, And uh, I've said it before, and I think think it's worth repeating, that uh, this show is called The Appeal, uh, named after David Walker, David Walker's Appeal. And the reason why that's significant is because uh, the appeal came out uh, two years prior to the execution of Matt Turner. Um, And so, and it was banned in the South. So think about it. Uh, David Walker is appealing for a slave role, right? He's actually telling slaves to rise up, right? Uh, Got to take your freedom. Ain't nobody going to give it to you. And then you have Matt Turner <laughs> putting it into action. Um, yeah, this really put the South um, on edge, right? These, the, 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 the production of Walker's Appeal and Matt Turner's uh, uprising really put the South on edge and, and really dictated um, uh, how some things happened in the South leading up to the Civil War for like that 30-year period, right? Um, uh, so <laughs> we we never want to forget Matt Turner. If I can, we can celebrate him every day. I, I damn sure would, uh, because there were other conspiracies. That, like even I referenced John. Uh, I referenced Bessie a lot. Uh, Denmark Vesey, but he never actually got to killing nobody <laughs> right he he got uh found out during the the the, the planning phases Matt Turner followed through and so um <laughs> uh, that's justice right uh that is what justice looks like and that is that is you're supposed to have the right to protect yourself right and that that's that's what that's what was preached and that's what he practiced uh, he, he, even though the, the the world didn't see him as a man, he saw himself as a man, right? And I and I and I tell young kids that Nat Turner was not a slave. No one remembers Nat Turner as a slave, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? He may have been enslaved at some point in time, but he died a free man. And so um, uh, I would only hope that we all get to die free, folks, because uh, the chains that we got to break are not around our wrists; they are around our minds. Um, so I'm going I'm to shut it down like that for the season. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, thanks for Sister Sydney Ashby. Thanks for all of the other programs on On the Wake Up Radio. All we got is us. Um, this is independent programming. Uh, no overseas. No mass. <laughs> right? I don't got to ask master. We sick? No. I don't care. Right? Uh, and it's important to keep this going. Um, if you could donate uh, to this uh, program, we, we truly appreciate it. Um, uh, but more importantly, I need you to tune in. Tune in. Uh, sign up for On the Wake on the OTW two, and um, yeah, <laughs> thanks for rocking out with me. Uh, Rob should be back next week. Uh, thanks for hearing a uh, poor black man's thoughts. And uh, to all my Africans, Africanettes, and those of you who are African adjacent, until uh, next week. Uh, this is On the Wake Up Radio, The Appeal, aka Walker's Appeal. I am Oscar Bryant. Flawed individual. Thanks for keeping the lights on, Deang. 
On the wake up. So here it is, y'all. Are you tired of being censored? Shadow banned? Shit, are you just tired of creating content and making these platforms famous? Well, I'm asking you to support OPW2. It's the black YouTube. Why, you may say? Because our content is important and necessary. And because anytime we tell the truth, they shut us down on their platform. So we are behind enemy lines, so we cannot complain. We just got to move accordingly, smarter. So since we know many of our people won't just jump ship and go to a black site, what I'm telling you to do is don't post everything that is great on their platform. Give them perfect people a 10-second snippet, a 15-second snippet, and make them come to OTWTube and come check you out. Support black things or stop complaining. There's only unity, black unity, and black economics can change our situation. Wake up, y'all. OTWTube is where it's at.